Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Luke chapter 9, verse 33, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please give us ears to hear your word this morning, hearts to receive your instruction, and please bless my words to be useful to that end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was really struck in reflecting on the gospel reading appointed for this Sunday by that one phrase, not knowing what he said. Why did God want to point out that Peter said something that he didn't know what he was saying? It's a very strange phrase, and I think investigating its strangeness um, yields um, spiritual fruit. And so that's the phrase I want to dig into. What What was he saying, and what did he not know about what he was saying? When we answer those questions, I think we'll see some more of the glory of Jesus as he revealed himself on the Mount of Transfiguration. So the the first key that kind of unlocks this puzzle, what did he not know, is this word tense. And to catch the biblical resonances of that word, that usually when that Greek word is found elsewhere in the scripture, it's often, usually translated tabernacle or booth, which hopefully pings on to your knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, right? That the tabernacle, the meeting place designed by God, given to Moses in a, in a vision on Sinai that they built to be the meeting place between God and man. The, the, the tent, it's the same word, the tent. Uh, sometimes translated the tent of meeting, I think in our translation. And then booths, that one of the three cardinal feasts of the old covenant people, when they would um, remember that God had brought them out of slavery, they would each year then, and Jew, faithful Jews still do this every year, the Feast of Booths. Um, they build like a little tent-like structure to camp in for a week as a reminder that they once wandered in the wilderness after being released from slavery in Egypt. So that word tent, that's what we should be, those are some of the resonances we should be picking up on. And so when we catch that, what we catch firstly is that um, Peter's impulse is, I think, good. Right? The, 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 a tent in a Jewish mindset is something that associated with a holy place, the tabernacle, or a holy event, the Feast of Booths. And so Peter's recognizing that he's in the midst of both. This is clearly a holy place, and this is a holy event. Let, okay, new feast. You know, let's, let's build some tents. His impulse is good. But his understanding as to what he's just witnessed is flawed. What's the flaw? The flaw is really sort of that he wanted to build three tents. And accent both on the fact that three and tents. Let me unpack what I mean. To build three tents, and it says one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, it's as if Peter is seeing Jesus as one among the great teachers of Israel, right? Um, and it's hard to reconstruct it now as we live in the Christian era how reverenced Moses was in the Jewish mind. I mean, it was, to speak carefully, a Jew prior to the time of Jesus almost reverenced the name of Moses the way we reverence the name of Jesus, almost. I mean, it was like Moses. When you gather in the synagogue... 
Right? The teacher would say, let's listen to Moses. Right? He was the, the name, the mouthpiece through which God had spoken the law. And so Peter, honoring Moses sort of by instinct as a faithful, devout Jew, oh, you know, he was, like, he was just blown away by Moses and Elijah as Jesus. And so three tenths. That's, that's what we should do. What he, in that mistake, not knowing what he said, he's giving too much glory to Moses and Elijah and not enough to Jesus. There's an analogue to this throughout the scriptures. Like when John in the Revelation is so impressed by the angel, he falls down. And the angel's like, no, 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 don't, don't worship me. I'm just a servant like you. Same kind of corrective happening here. Jesus is not just one among Israel's great teachers. And Peter's actually confusing different kinds of light. We saw in Exodus that um, when Moses encountered God, he sort of reflected the glow of the glory of God. For some reason, I always think of that kid's TV cartoon from the the 80s, The Snowman, when they sort of get warm by the warmth and they glow. Not a visual reference for many of you, I see. Anyways, it helped me kind of picture it. Um, It's a great Christmas kid's cartoon from the 80s, if you're ever um, looking for such. (laughs) Um, But... Peter's mistaking that when Moses saw God and glowed, it was a reflection of the light of God, right? And the glory that it says that Moses and Elijah appeared on was a mirrored glory. But from Jesus, it was an emanating glory. It just came out of who he truly is as fully God. And we know it says that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So his divine nature has been unveiled, to use that image of Exodus. The veil has been taken off, and the glory of Jesus is really for the first time in his earthly ministry, being seen by the eyes of men. It was a reflected light, which means that there is as big a gap between Moses and Elijah and Jesus as there is between the Creator, Jesus is the one through whom all things were made, and the created. And Peter misses that distinction. That in fact, as excellent as the law was and is, as excellent as the prophecies of the prophets were and are, they come from the word himself. It's actually this clue you see when you read the prophets, right? What, is it, what does almost every prophetic book begin with? The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Right? Who is the word of the Lord? Jesus. Oh, then you should come more often. I'm loving the feedback. <laughs> um, Peter's flawed understanding um, is corrected by God who desires to instruct us in the way with both the, the epiphany keeps sort of unfolding. First there's this glowing, and then there's a cloud, and then there's this voice, and the voice clarifies very clearly what Peter didn't know. Right? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Right? Singular, listen, listen to him. What we see here would be teased out later in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 3 that would say, Moses served in God's house as a servant, Jesus is God's son. And there's as much a difference between a servant and a son as between Moses and Jesus. And also, I think one of the things that we should take away from, why did God, I mean, God could have done this in any way he chose. Why did he have Moses and Elijah show up from their resting place in paradise for this moment? It's to teach the apostles and then therefore us that following Jesus isn't a break away from following the Old Covenant. It was the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. Christ is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law. 
that Moses and Elijah looked to Jesus. So if you want to rightfully follow what Moses said, then you should follow Jesus as the chosen one, the Messiah. God is teaching us the continuity that the church of Christ blooms out of old Israel. And the last detail, detail I think, worth underscoring of what Peter gets wrong about suggesting building tents, a good impulse, but he didn't know what he was saying, um, comes from, if we r- rightly catch the what's communicated by God sending this mysterious cloud upon them. And think back again to sort of your own scripture reading or Sunday schools, like, when, the cloud, when does a cloud show up in the Old Covenant? When God himself is there. Right? There's a cloud on Mount Sinai when Moses receives the law. There's a cloud when God passes by Moses. There's a cloud that rests on the tabernacle. There's a cloud that fills the tabernacle and sits on the mercy seat. And so the cloud coming, you can see why they were afraid, right? Oh my gosh, like, we know what cloud means. God is here. And in the same way that the cloud for decades, um, centuries, occupied this one place, a building made by hands, right? First a tent and then a temple that Solomon built, just a tent made of bricks, right? I mean, big building. That once upon a time, under the old covenant, there was only one place where God's glory dwelt. And it was kind of contained by the walls of a tent or a temple. But now this cloud is not contained, Right? And so Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. There's one place. With this, this, this is a special, particular place. There's one mountain. We can really meet God here. And the glory of God comes as a fulfillment of the prophecy to Habakkuk. Um, the glory of God will fill the whole earth. Not just one confined space where you can meet God, but now God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. That all people, not just Jews, anyone who has faith in his son Jesus, his chosen one, that we should listen to, is worshipping him and therefore is surrounded by his glory. It's no longer confined to one place. The last thing that we should catch about the transfiguration, I think, for this morning is it wasn't... You could think that Peter, again, not knowing what he said, he probably thought that, oh my gosh, this is the kingdom of God we've been waiting for. It's all happening right now. Jesus is going to stay in this glowing state. This is, you know, this is it forgetting what you see in the, all of the Gospels just before Jesus has said that I have to die first. And so, but, you know, I think if you saw glowing, your, your, your teacher glowing and Moses, and, you know, you kind of, that you would forget that momentarily. But it's important that we don't forget. Jesus allowed this epiphany, this revelation of himself as a glimpse ahead of his suffering and death in order to build this kingdom of glory in which he would shine as the light of the new Jerusalem, he first has to lay down the foundation of his own body, of shedding his own blood, which is why we have a crucifix made of gold, right? Well, it's not real gold, but it shines like gold. He first had to die for our sins, to cleanse the people of God once and for all, so that his glory could live among us. So the transfiguration is this glimpse ahead of the time and that when they saw Jesus suffering and mutilated and dying for us, they would remember, yeah, but this is, we, we know what this is for. This death is for the establishment of his kingdom and for his glory so that we might enjoy his glory. I think um, there's lots of outstanding things in our Book of Common Prayer.
But the collect for the prayer we began this, um, this um, service with is among the most excellent. I mean, it really holds this whole thing together. So I want to close with this as a prayer again. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.